Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Ryan McGee of ESPN. Covers college sports and motorsports. We'll chat with him about what's going on on the KU football and basketball scene, also around the Big 12 Conference, and also in NASCAR as well when McGee joins us coming up later on here on the Jones Report today. As always, Thomas Bridges is here with me. Tom, I got to tell you, on this busy Friday, I put this post out on Facebook, and this is just how crazy this Friday news dump day has been, just to give a recap. I know Tom Fullery's later on in the show, but I think I want to get off this planet right now. I've seen enough internet today, Tom. People think Garth Brooks endorsed Bernie Sanders by wearing a Barry Sanders jersey in Detroit. 38% of the country won't buy corona because of coronavirus. And a Utah school is forbidding kids from saying no when asked to dance, including slow dancing. Tom, I'm done. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. It sounds like one of those full moon Fridays, and it's not even a full moon today. Yeah, um, it sounds like Black Friday, and it's not, uh, you know, Friday the 13th. It's the 28th uh, of February. Right, yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh, my God, daylight savings time is like next week, and, you know, we're, we're almost out of it. We're almost out of it. We're coming to brighter days, literally. I don't need daylight savings in my lifetime. I think that that's that could that could be temporary, essentially. Yeah. Um, to me, the daylight rest of the world doesn't do it. Daylight savings is a waste. Why do we do this? Um, you know, just let the clock run as it may be. In fact, I have a better idea, Tom. Have I told you about my idea for one universal world time? Yeah, we've talked about it. <laughs> yes, no time zones. Everybody's on the same time. Why not? Right, it should be. Yes, I it really should be. I think so. Plenty to discuss on today's show, but we lead with the number one ranked Kansas Jayhawks, who appear well on their way to being the number one seed in the NCAA tournament when it starts here in just a couple weeks. What a run it's been for KU to get to this point. 13-game winning streak heading into tomorrow's game against K-State. They should win that and probably win out the rest of Big 12 play and go into the Big 12 tournament here in a couple weeks riding a 15-game winning streak. Uh, or actually, 16, rather. I can't do math. Math is hard. Um, but what a run it's been for KU. The, the nice win against Baylor last week on the road in Waco. This was a game that could have gone either direction, um, really could have. But KU made the plays when it mattered most, and they led that game almost from start to finish. Baylor made some runs here and there. Uh, Baylor almost was able to steal that one towards the end, but ultimately KU prevailed. And when you compare KU and Baylor, I think that you – look at it simply as would you rather have Bill Self or would you rather have Scott Drew and I think that's what it's come down to at this point talent level wise KU and Baylor are both pretty even we've heard from the media all season long Tom about how there's just no great teams in college basketball this is a year of parody and for the first half of the season it seemed like the media was right about that, with number ones falling week after week. At one point, we had 
more number one teams lose in consecutive weeks than ever in college basketball history. But what I can tell you is the rankings were basically just wrong. There are great teams in college basketball. It starts with Kansas and it ends with Baylor. Those two have separated themselves. Although Baylor lost to Kansas this weekend, and either they'll split a Big 12 championship or KU will win this thing outright, the Bears are a great team. They'll be a one seed in the NCAA tournament as well. Um, This is a great year for the Big 12, despite not having a deep pool of teams uh, this year with not having the depth that we're accustomed to seeing, it's top-heavy. And KU and Baylor, uh, despite Baylor losing last week, even though they're not going to be the number one overall seed, they have nothing to hang their hats on uh, about what has transpired with them this season. A great run for them to be that one seed, to be in position to win uh, a share of the Big 12 Conference uh, to get that one seed. Uh, Really, this is something that we can all be proud of and look at and see that going into March, as we finish up these last couple days in February, the way things are stacking up is we're likely to see Kansas and Baylor face again here in the Big 12 Tournament Championship, more than likely, and there's a chance that these two teams meet again in the NCAA Tournament because they are simply just that good. Yeah, you very well could see that, and and that was almost well, – we talked about it. It wasn't necessarily a must-win for either team. But you almost – and we talked about it. We both, I believe, we picked Baylor last week to win that game. I mean, it was in Waco. And, and you had mentioned it could have gone either way. I believe it was, was 76-73. to 73. Uh, I, I mean, coming down to that, like it's uh, – these teams are even uh, – you mentioned the coaching. Uh, I mean, a lot, lot like how we mentioned the coaching in LSU versus Clemson. Who would you rather have? Uh, and, and, you know, we, <laughs> you know, kind of may have been wrong about that as far as the coaching went on that game. Uh, but basketball might be a little bit different as far as that goes, especially when the teams are as close as Baylor and KU. Uh, they're both going to be number one seeds, even if KU and Baylor, you know, don't even make the Big 12 championship game. Uh, you know, if they were to both lose in, in early rounds and, and maybe help Oklahoma State out and let them into the tournament, that would be really nice on their part, but maybe not what's going to happen. But that's helpful. Hopeful, hopeful wait, wait, wait. Did you uh, just <laughs> even bring up Oklahoma State and NCAA tournament in the same sentence? That's blasphemy. Hey, listen. No, listen. Yeah, you know, you always want, you know, you just always got to hope and pray that, hey, you know, let's uh, let little brother in <laughs> and let Mike Boynton get an NCAA berth. Not really. I just had to add that in. Okay, uh, okay. But, I mean, really, really with that said, like, there's a really good shot that they're in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, how much does that matter at this point? They're both going to be – I mean, they could lose in the first round of the Big 12 championship, or I guess they would have a bye, but they could lose in their first game, and and they would still both be one seeds. probably KU number one overall now. Had you – now, Jones, this is interesting. Had, if what and, and put your opinion in here for sure. If you had switched the games, if KU had won at home the first round or the first battle between KU and Baylor, and then Baylor won in Waco here this past week, then then what do you think? Is it I don't scheduling think, matters? I don't think that changes anything. Um, if anything, it speaks to both teams' abilities to win on the road of where they're at right now. I think that... Uh, because they evened up the series, I don't think there's much reading into that either way. Um, 
if anything, it just says more about Baylor, their ability to win at Allen Fieldhouse and how good they are. I was talking to uh, Marty Smith of ESPN a couple weeks ago down in Daytona, and uh, we were just trying to figure out you know, how good Baylor is. And I said, look, Marty, nobody goes into Allen Fieldhouse and beats Kansas by double digits. That doesn't happen every day. I know Devon Dotson was out for that second half, but that was an impressive win. That was a statement victory. Yes, it would have been a statement if Baylor wins in Waco instead of Lawrence, but I think it was a louder statement for them to win in uh, in Allen Fieldhouse, but ultimately the numbers, the way the numbers game plays out, it, it works out virtually the same either way, whether they would have split the home-and-home home series uh, you know, on the home sides or the road sides. I think it, in the end it makes Baylor look better, but statistically and numbers-wise it doesn't change anything. Right, so you still think if KU would have won at home and then Baylor would have won at home, KU would still be number one overall seed? Yes, I do. I do think KU would still be the number right. one overall seed. And, and also I, I think a big part of that has to do with resume. Is Baylor's resume good? Yes, it is. Uh, with wins over Butler – and Butler. Villanova, Arizona, uh, Kansas, of course. You know, they have a good resume. But Kansas has the best resume in the country with the wins that they have over Dayton and Stanford. And, you know, their only losses, they don't have a bad loss. They don't have a loss by more than, you know, what is it, 12 points? Their losses are Baylor, every, Villanova, every, yeah. and Duke. I mean, it's incredible, this resume. Every, every team they've lost to is going to be a top-five seed. Right, well, yeah. Exactly. And so, right. comparably speaking, Baylor, they've lost to Kansas, but then their other loss to Washington. I know it was early in the season, but we're talking resumes here. Washington is nowhere close to the NCAA tournament. That's like losing to Oklahoma State. No offense. Hey, uh, uh, <laughs> I so, knew you were doing that. Yes. I knew that was coming. You, you had that coming based on that earlier comment. I wouldn't have said it otherwise. Yeah, I did. I, I did. I did. I did. Uh, <laughs> but with that being said, I think this is just a resume argument. Ultimately, these two teams are going to get the opportunity to again to play it out on the court. But if you're asking me today – which team is better suited to make a late run? I'm taking Kansas right now. I think that this KU team has gotten better as the season's gone along. Baylor, I feel like we saw their best basketball in mid-January, and although that they've played good, I don't think they're as good as what they quite were. Um, if we see the mid-January Baylor team come back, they can win the national championship. Um, but right now, Where's that mid-January team? I wouldn't say that they've gotten a whole lot worse, but they're not doing what they did just even a few weeks ago to teams. Right, right, and they could, like I said, and you mentioned it too. They could find that. There's, uh, I mean, it's they've done it before. They can do it again. I would not be shocked to see. In in maybe it's a little bit of bias from a Big Twelve guy, but I cannot. I, I, I can't imagine that this, uh, I mean, out of any other, you know, scenarios, I, I would put my money on that where we could see this KU Baylor matchup again in, in March Madness. And that's not crazy. No, it's not crazy. When you have two teams of this caliber that are so much better than everybody else. And that leads me to my next point, Tom. Um, talent level wise, we have another week 
of Big 12 play to go. So things could change with a week left. But when I look at the Big 12 player of the year race, I think it's neck and neck right now heading into the last, what is it, you know, week and a half of the regular season between uh, Jared Butler of Baylor and Devon Dotson of Kansas. And you look at their numbers, Butler is averaging about 15 points per game and two assists, two rebounds per game. Devon Dotson's averaging about 18 points per game, four assists, and four rebounds per. Um, Butler's been incredible. He's had a great year for the Baylor Bears. Uh, make no mistake about it. But if you make me choose a Big 12 player of the year right now, i got to go with Devon Dotson. The numbers are better. Um, you know, the wins, obviously, are even both directions. Um, we saw what Kansas looked like. Without Devon Dotson in that Baylor game, um, I know Yudoka Azubuki has been on a hell of a run the last several weeks, Tom. It's been incredible what this guy's done, but you don't have the full body of work with Yudoka Azubuki to be a part of that conversation with uh, Dotson and uh, and Jared Butler. So I, I got to go with Devon right now as my Big 12 Player of the Year at the moment. But I would go with... Um, with Scott Drew as coach of the year, though. I think that's where things split. I think that you give Scott Drew coach of the year the Big 12, but you give Devon Dotson player of the year. Yeah, and, and I think uh, even Scott Drew has a uh, a real shot at national coach of the year. Just be, I mean, it's here's the thing, too. It's when you get these coaches that are successful year after year after year after year, you look at, look at, uh, I mean, a shameless plug again. You can probably guess what I'm about to say. Greg Popovich in the NBA, he's won Coach of the Year like very few times. Should have been more. Uh, Bill Self is the same way. Uh, I mean, year after year, you do that consistently. It just becomes a norm. And so usually Coach of the Year is a team that you didn't expect, comes out of the blue, and then you give it to them. And, and honestly, Scott Drew could deserve that because if you – I mean, maybe – and I don't follow college basketball like maybe I, mean, I used to. I should probably more. But, uh, I mean, no one in my mind would have thought, hey, Baylor's going to come out and do this this year. Uh, I mean, it's been it, – even if they were to lose uh, in, in the Sweet 16, uh, I mean, successful year out of Baylor. Uh, I mean, I didn't expect this. I don't think the other – you know, anybody else expected this. Maybe you would have thought Texas Tech would have had more continuity – uh, than this Baylor team coming on out of nowhere essentially this year. Um, so to say Scott Drew could win the National Coach of the World uh, Award of the Year is not crazy either. Uh, I do agree about Devon, though. Uh, he's been phenomenal. Uh, you know, after KU losing to Baylor that first time around, they, it's almost like KU took it upon themselves to take an extra step or a uh, kind of like a slide against them to say, you know what, no. We're not going to let this game define us. We're going to come out and kick everybody's ass. And that's what they've done. Right, right. They've rebounded. Uh, it seems like this Kansas team, Tom, um, the ones that are the elite teams that make the deep runs, not last year's group, but uh, I point to the year before that when they went to the Final Four. There's always that turning point moment of some sorts. Um, you know, I look back – when the the last Final Four team from Kansas, uh, they were on a downward spiral and they were down by double digits against West Virginia, and they came back to win that game uh, on the road in Morgantown, and that was their 
turning point moment of sorts for that team. This Kansas team, um, I don't know if there's necessarily a moment, I think, where you know things were different, uh, but I look at where there was an instant moment in within a game. I think it was the loss to Baylor was a wake-up call for this team, and the way that they've played since, that has been what's defined them down this stretch is that once they realize that, hey, Baylor beat these guys at home, okay, now you got to go win road games that uh, you didn't have to beforehand. That was the turning point a loss was uh, for this team of getting themselves back in that right direction to get to the level of elite Kansas basketball we, we come to expect every year. Yeah, it was a turning point, and and they turned that corner and and did not let that loss define them. And that I don't know if it comes down to Bill Self or just the entirety of the team to not let that loss affect them. I mean, and, and for KU, they essentially they could have said, you know what, we're going to get a tournament berth anyway. We'll just roll over. Baylor can win the Big Twelve. No, 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 no. They could have done that, and there have been teams that have done that. They they could have just accepted it. And been like, you know what, we'll, you know, if we meet them in the you know, Big 12 tournament, we'll give them a run again. No, I mean, they could have laid down. Uh, and, you know, a lot of teams have been in that position where they've laid down and just said, hey, we'll cruise into it. No, KU took that. It, it, I mean, it, is it expected from KU? Kind of. Uh, I mean, if any other team, if I had to put money on it, KU would do this. Uh, they always do it, it seems like. Um, and that's a testament to Bill Smell. Bill, Bill Smell. Bill self and uh, the program in the entirety. Um, so you almost expect it. Um, but like I said, as far as it comes to the year, when you do it year after year after year, it is expected just a little bit, but it's still impressive. That doesn't take away from how impressive it is to not lay down, not to accept it, and then just go in and just start whooping everybody's ass. Right. Uh, I mean, that's just how, that's how they roll. It's how the cookie crumbles, as they say. Um, one of the things that Kansas, as the number one overall seed, assuming that they finish out like they're supposed to and be the number one overall seed, or in the case of Baylor, if KU does slip down the stretch here, this year a new rule is in place for the number one overall seed, Tom, where they get to choose their regional site as well as their first and second round site. Something totally new before. And actually, KU is a big reason why this rule was in place. A couple years ago, KU was the number one overall seed, and everybody just expected that they were going to go to the Midwest region in Chicago. Well, the NCAA did the math, and Louisville was about 10 miles closer to Lawrence than Chicago was, despite being so many direct direct flights from Kansas City to Chicago and none from Louisville. So Kansas got stuck in Louisville despite being the number one overall seed and all the alumni base that's in Chicago like there is. Um, so they got screwed over, and that didn't go over very well, and Bill Self still complains about it to this day. So with all that being said, so the position Kansas is in now, I would think that you would want to go Omaha within three hours for that first and second round and then Indianapolis for the Midwest region. But if you have Michigan State or Kentucky, maybe you don't want to be in Indianapolis with those fan bases right there. 
maybe you want to go south to Houston. And then you take that away from Baylor, too. Baylor doesn't get the luxury of playing in Houston if you do that. And in Indianapolis, you're going to have to play at Lucas Oil Stadium, where the Colts play, a football stadium. The other three sites, Houston, Los Angeles, and New York, are basketball arenas. So with that being said, Tom, I think the most logistic and logical situation that we're looking at for Kansas is Omaha in Indianapolis. But if you're Bill Self, do you play a mind game? Do you think about maybe going to Houston instead and mess with Baylor a little bit and also get away from the Kentucky fans possibly? Or do you just go with what appears on paper to be the easiest route? See, that's a very interesting you know, just an interesting thing, which, you know, I agree with. So they essentially get to pick their region or where they want to go after all the teams are selected. Before the teams are selected. That's the other caveat. Okay, okay. Because I was about to say, if you already know what teams you can avoid, then obviously you're going to pick the region with the shitter team. Right. Right? Right. So, I mean, I guess they have that in place. But how do you, I, I mean, I guess for Kentucky that, you would know that they would be in that region pretty much automatically. And, and as far as Michigan State, the same way. So, you know what? I would I would do – I mean, if you can outright take the number one seed, go ahead and say, hey, we played Baylor. We beat Baylor by three. They also beat us at home. You know, make Baylor play somebody else, you know, somewhere else. I mean, it's essentially a trump card. Uh, don't let Baylor play in Texas. Right. Uh, well, you know what it comes down to. The other thing too is Kansas fans are going to travel everywhere. Ginormous We're fan right. base. Um, there's only a couple of fan bases that would outnumber Kansas in the NCAA tournament. Kentucky would be one mm-hmm. of those. I'm looking at Lenardi's bracketology right now, Tom. What do you know? Mm-hmm. He has Michigan State in the Midwest region right now. He doesn't have Kentucky there at the moment, but obviously one weekend can change all that. So. Maybe you get creative and open up that opportunity to go play somewhere else and also avoid playing in a uh, basketball, uh, in a, a football stadium in the process as well. Um, but at the end of the day, to me, I don't think these things really matter a whole lot. Um, you know, the best teams are still going to prevail no matter where they play. And it's still a reward for fans to make it the easiest trip possible. Maybe you look at Indianapolis and say, it's an eight-hour drive. People don't even have to fly there. Um, there's there's a lot of different ways to look at this. Maybe you even look at New York and L.A. and say, we want to reward our players. We want them to enjoy two of the uh, greatest cities on the planet, too. I mean, there's just a lot of different ways that you can look at this and take this approach. Yeah, it is. And, uh, I mean, it's – it's one of those things you'd have to sit down in the room and literally take the pros and cons and say, hey, listen, usually this is picked for us, but now it's our decision. Literally, we need to have a sit-down meeting and say, hey, this could affect – I mean, this could change everything. Um, I mean, it's great that they're doing that because, you know, now it's not out of your control, essentially, especially as the number one overall seed. Um, but now it's in your – the ball's in your court. Um, and I mean, sit down and meetings will have to happen and they will. I mean, obviously we're not college coaches by any means. I mean, there are some days that I think I could, but, uh, um, that being said, I mean, a sit down meeting, a real meeting about this is going to happen somewhere in Lawrence. Right. Um, 
uh, about how we should approach this, and rightfully so. I mean, this is. I bet the players will speak up and say something. I bet the players will speak up and say something too. Like they might oh, have 100%. a preference. You're going to say, "Hey, who do we want to play, or where do we want to play?" Right. Uh, I mean, you know, the coaches can say whatever they want, but you know, the coaches not are out there on the on the court dribbling the ball. Right. Right. Um, that's a great point. And looking at as far as the tournament goes, we were talking last week about how we were thinking about five teams from the Big 12 make it in as they stand right now. Latest, according to Lenardi, has Oklahoma as one of the last four in after that ugly defeat that they suffered to Oklahoma State and Stillwater last week. Um, but uh-huh. making some moves is the Texas Longhorns. Texas has played some really good basketball as of late. They're on a three-game winning streak after defeating TCU, K-State, and West Virginia. Before that, they'd lost four straight. But Texas has played better. Shaka, of course, his job's on the line. They finish out the regular season with, at Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. Then, of course, they'll have the Big 12 uh, tournament to follow after that. Meanwhile, for Oklahoma, as one of the last four in right now, the way their schedule plays out down the stretch, you get West Virginia on the road tomorrow, Texas at home, as we mentioned, then at TCU. Tom, are enough wins to go around to get both Oklahoma and Texas in the tournament, or do you think it's a situation where maybe next week's game is a play-in game for one of these two teams? I think it's going to be a playing game. And then, uh, I mean, realistically, you don't see Texas or OU winning the Big 12 championship to get that secured bid. Um, so, I mean, essentially, it's a it's a playing game, I, I would think. And then both coaches should recognize that. Yeah. Um, that should feel like an NCAA tournament game. You're playing for your NCAA tournament life. Um, and in Shaka Smart's case, he's coaching for his job. Um in that circumstance as well. Lon Kruger obviously is fine, but uh, that's a lot to play for when uh, those two teams meet up coming up. But that's kind of the circumstance where uh, the Big 12 sits right now. Really good shape for o- for uh, Kansas and Baylor as one seeds. Uh, then you go on down the line, and uh, West Virginia sa- stands as a seven seed. If the tournament were to begin today, Texas Tech is an 8. Oklahoma is one of the last four in, playing in Dayton as an 11, and Texas on the outside looking in, but not out as it stands right now. We will move on. Uh, Let's talk Chiefs here. Chris Jones received the franchise tag for the Kansas City Chiefs, and a big question for the Chiefs is what to do about Chris Jones. He has openly stated he wants to be a Chief for life. We know that, Tom, but you got to pay Patrick Mahomes here pretty soon. You've already paid Tyreek Hill and some of these other guys, Frank Clark as well. If you go ahead and re-sign Chris Jones, you're talking about $80 million being spent every year on two defensive linemen. Um, that's Ooh. not cheap. That's a lot of money to be thrown out there. Um, as good as Chris Jones is, and we saw uh, what this team was like when he was out, they were just terrible on the run defense, and they got drastically better when he came back out there. Tom, I think if you're the Chiefs, yet you need to do whatever it takes to keep Chris Jones. Um, you need to at least try, and I think they are trying, but there might not be a way around it. You might just have to go ahead and throw the franchise tag on, and you know maybe you play out this year and then let him go next year, 
or you trade him, whatever. But it's hard to imagine a scenario where all of this works out unless Chris Jones is willing to take uh, a pretty decent hometown discount of some sorts. Yeah, it does. That's a lot of money. That's Rams defensive line money. Um, and you're not even paying Aaron Donald. So uh, there is that's a that's a, like we already talked about sit down meetings in the Kansas, Missouri area. Uh, that's going to be another one. Um, uh, I think you let it play out this year. I think, you, you know, obviously tag them, uh, which has been done. You tag them and see how this year plays out. You know, second year under Steve Spags after you already won a Super Bowl. Uh, hell, make another run with it and see what happens after that. Uh, I, I think it's, my opinion, is best to just let it play out, see where you end up this year, and then and then go from that point. Now, also, I looked at last year's team, Tom, and yes, they were better when Chris Jones got back, obviously. But keep in mind, they lost Alex Okafor. They lost uh, the, uh, the the great kid they had from uh, Oklahoma State as well. I mean, this team, you know, dealt with several injuries. Ogba, uh, Ogba Emmanuel Ogba, thank you. Um, they felt dealt with a lot of injuries on that defensive line uh, throughout the year. So you know, they they had to make uh, some changes. You know, I mean, they, they needed Chris Jones back. You, you think about it, if. If all those guys stayed healthy, maybe we're not having the same conversation about needing Chris Jones. A lot of it, this team was just depleted on that defensive line this year. Yeah, and they still ended up winning the Super Bowl. I mean, just with all the injuries and stuff, they still ended up coming through. Uh, I mean, overall, you know, they weren't number. They weren't. I don't think they were top ten defensively, but they they made things happen when it mattered, um, and and that matters. Uh, I mean, you might not be the best defensively, but if your turnover margin is you know, better than, you know, if it's positive, then you're, you're sitting pretty well. Right. You, you are sitting pretty well um, for this team. I like Chris Jones. I would like to see him stay in, uh, in Kansas city. That's what you would uh, ideally like to see, but it may not be realistic for him to have a long-term future there, but um, this is the price you pay. Um, this is what it comes down to, Tom, is that, when you have a franchise quarterback, the way that they've structured this league right now, this National Football League, is that when you pay a quarterback, you're going to lose elsewhere. And um, not very many teams get to the Super Bowl when they're paying a quarterback a lot of money. Um, I don't think anybody should be surprised by this, that the Chiefs are going to have some tough decisions to make. Even if you keep Chris Jones, that just means you're giving up something somewhere else. Right, exactly. I mean, they're uh, like, you know, the the window is very real in the NFL when you have to pay your star player, your quarterback, so much money. I mean, and, and Mahomes deserves it. He does. He really does. You bring a Super Bowl to Kansas City for the first time in 50 years, like, you, you deserve that. Um, and will it hurt the team? Maybe some other places. Would it be easier if he took a home down di- discount? Yes. Uh, but this is Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't have to do that because he already did what he needed to do. Um, so pay the man his money, and then, you know, if you figured it out before, you can figure it out again. Uh, and, and I think they'll do so. Yeah, I would hope. Uh, the draft combine already going on at this point. Uh, some of the talent that's already taken the field, some of our local guys. Tom, th- these numbers on Jalen Hurts were just – crazy. I couldn't believe what I was seeing about 
uh, Jalen. I don't know if his future is going to be as a quarterback in the NFL, um, and that's not a knock on him. I, I just haven't seen enough of his throwing ability to say that he could be, you know, to say without a doubt that he could be a starter in this league, maybe as a backup. But when I look at his measurements, Tom, Jalen Hurts, 6'1", 222, we already knew that. Four-yard dash time was the fastest of any quarterback in the draft with a 4.59 and a vertical of 35 inches. Compare that to, let's say, an all-pro running back in Le'Veon Bell. Bell is 6'1 and 3'8", just barely taller than Jalen Hurts. 230, barely bigger than Jalen Hurts. His 40-yard dash time is slower than Jalen at 4.6, and his vertical is shorter than Jalen at 31 and a half. Um, I know Jalen Hurts is very set on being a quarterback, and maybe this provides him provides him some flexibility if it doesn't work out of him being a quarterback. But we we said for a while, Tom, that Jalen Hurts looked like a running back playing quarterback. But those numbers, to me, I'm looking at those and I'm saying, Jalen, go ahead and be willing. If, if this doesn't work at the quarterback position, and I don't blame him for wanting to be a quarterback with playing in the college football playoff with two teams and all that he's accomplished. I get that. But if it doesn't work, I would like to see Jalen Hurts have an open mind and be willing to look at switching positions, whether it's running back, H-back, tight end, wide receiver. His body and his speed are built as an athlete that it looks like he could play other positions. Oh, he definitely could. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure, like you said, it's probably hard to say this, playing at quarterback, and it's – here's a funny thing, and you know how much I don't like OU. You, you know how much I don't. Um Get, I mean, think about it. We were saying the same thing, the same thing about Lamar Jackson. We said the same thing. We said the exact same thing. And guess who won MVP this year? Right. Lamar Jackson. Uh, I mean, it's it can happen. Uh, I mean, he could go out to the right team and he could crush it. Or he could have his heart set like so many other quarterbacks, Cardell Jones being one of them, um, on playing quarterback. Um, going into this, not succeeding and not being that good. And then we could see him as the starting quarterback on the Dallas Renegades uh, in the right. XFL and end up just winning the league outright in the XFL for about 10 years in a row. Uh, I mean, it could go a whole lot of different ways. It really depends on what team's going to draft him. Um, I know a lot of OU fans that I've talked to, it seems like, think that, hey, let him go ahead and slip to the Patriots. Right. Um, I don't know. Let him slip. It's, and it, it, I think it comes down to a lot of where he ends up. Yeah. Um, speaking of Sooners, CeeDee Lamb was incredible uh, at the Combine. The show that he put on was just amazing. Um, you know, the, the catches and all his speed, everything that he showed off, I mean, this, to me, I like D.K. Metcalf, and I think he had a terrific rookie season. I look at C.D. Lamb, Tom, as the better version of D.K. Metcalf with more speed and more playmaking ability, bigger hands and everything. To me, C.D., whether you want Jerick Judy, and I like Judy too, or some of these others, I don't think you can miss on C.D. Lamb. 
Um, I know that his numbers weren't even the best in his conference. Uh, you know, Tylon Wallace was uh, was better than he was statistically, and Tylon was a great receiver himself. But the raw skill and the natural ability, him as a junior and everything, I don't think you can go wrong with CeeDee Lamb. You take a team like Kansas City, he would be the perfect comp for Tyreek Hill. A speed guy in Tyreek Hill and then a physical receiver in CeeDee Lamb, I think he's the type of guy that any team in the league could use uh, at that receiver position. I don't think you can miss on him. You know where he's going, don't you? Uh, where would that be? He's going to Arizona. Okay. 100% going to Arizona. Tell me I'll why. Be, I'll be damned if, if Cliff if Cliff Kingsbury doesn't pick him up. Larry Field, probably last season, uh, you already have a quarterback who has built chemistry, same way Mason Rudolph did uh, with James Washington. I mean, it, obviously Mason Rudolph didn't honestly work out in the end, but Mason Rudolph also didn't win the Heisman, also didn't have a great rookie season uh, like Kyler Murray did. Uh, I mean, the perfect fit for him is in Arizona. It sucks to say because they're in the right division. But uh, that's a no-brainer. That is a no-brainer for me. Can you imagine Kyler Murray to CD again? Oh, my gosh. It's going to happen. Um, Kenneth Murray. It's, it's, it's happening. I, I think – yeah, I think they have, what, the fourth pick? Yes. Yeah, CD's going four. Uh, Kenneth Murray at OU was incredible. People were – uh, all in on him. I have some questions about Kenneth Murray um, personally. You know, I would like to see a little bit more. Um, he is going to be, it looks like, a top 20 pick. Tom, are are you sold on Kenneth Murray's NFL future, and where do you see him being a good fit? So, I mean, he was a great overall linebacker, for, you know, great overall defensive player, very smart. Uh, pretty much ran that defense uh, for the last two years, or not more than that. Um, uh, yeah, I, w- I don't have any problem saying top twenty pick. Uh, where does he end up? Uh, don't know. I couldn't see. I could see him seeing him slip past, but I can't see him slipping out of the first round. I really can't. And I know he kind of felt. I'm not. If I'm recall correctly, I feel like he dealt with some you know injuries at the end of the season, um, maybe not 100 percent healthy at towards the end. But uh, I mean, that's a that's a football mind. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's um, you know, there's a lot of great linebackers who aren't that. His awareness and just his knowledge of the game is evident. Yeah. Um, and so if you if if you know two years from now he could be a leader of a defense two, three years from now. I mean, that's the type of player Kenneth Murray is. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Another local guy uh, to the high school ranks that is uh, from Olathe North here in Kansas is uh, Isaiah Simmons, the uh, linebacker and safety from Clemson. Uh, Just unreal. He was the best defensive player Clemson had. And, I mean, he was just so good with the way his vision is and the way that he could just fly anywhere around the field. I was so impressive, uh, so impressed with him. He he played safety primarily for Clemson. He might be a linebacker in the league. Tom, this is a guy that um, I don't see falling out of the top ten and could provide some flexibility for somebody on their defense to to figure out what to do with him. Yeah, I think so too. And and same way about Kenneth Murray, Simmons could. You know, change the defense, maybe not right away, you know, not 
maybe first year you gotta learn the ropes i don't care who. Uh, i mean you gotta you, it takes some figuring out just like any new job any new position you you can take some time to figure it out games a lot quicker two to three years from now though you're talking about a guy same way as ken and murray they, they they can change the defense i mean at, at that position uh i mean you can make make it happen you i mean and to not the talent level, it's just the the worth ethic that legitimate those two players the leader of a defense. Real 100%. quick, uh, before we wrap well, up, you know, might not get the most tackles, might not get the most tackles, or you know, maybe the most interceptions or the most whatever. There's just a lot of shit that doesn't appear on the stat sheet that players like those two players can can make change. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a culture thing too. Yeah, real quick uh, <laughs> before we wrap the first segment of the show here, quarterback wise in this draft, Joe Burrow. Seems to be a lock to Cincinnati. Uh, going back to his home state, Ohio, he says that uh, he wants to be the number one pick. He's open to playing for Cincinnati despite the Bengals' struggles uh, as of late. That appears to be a done deal. A done deal, the number two pick of Chase Young out of Ohio State, who's probably the best player in this draft going to Washington. Beyond that, Tua... Probably doesn't get out of that top five, maybe even the top three. Miami looks like the farthest that he falls five. Maybe Detroit takes him at number three, especially with Matthew Stafford indicating that he might want to go elsewhere. Um, Justin Herbert is an interesting case study. His completion percentage was not very good early on in his career, but he had a great finish to his career. Won some big-time games where he put Oregon on his back to win the Pac-12 and win the Rose Bowl. I was much more impressed with Justin Herbert this season than I was in his previous seats there. I think when I look at these quarters, I don't care about Joe Burrow's hand size. I find it laughable when people make a big deal about that, fumbling or whatever. Patrick Mahomes' hands are small, and he's done fine. Joe is going to be an elite quarterback in this league. I like Tua, and I like Justin Herbert, but I don't like them nearly as much as I do uh, from Burrow. Oh, not anywhere close. Uh, you mentioned the Dolphins. I would love to see Herbert in a Dolphins uniform. Uh, I think that's a perfect fit for him in Miami. Uh, I, I really couldn't see, you know, I know Rosen's there, but it, I mean, that, I mean, that, yeah, well, that's a whole different discussion for all the other day with the Josh Rosen thing. Um, but it would be stupid not to take Justin Herbert or even Tua. I mean, Tua obviously has an injury. Um, I think Herbert would be a perfect fit in Miami. Um, and you mentioned Joe Burrow. There's not another quarterback that I like before. Hell, I even got his LSU jersey in China. Um, so that being said, uh, I, I think he's going to be a perfect fit in Cincinnati. And I even think maybe enough to keep A.J. Green around if he uh, shows out. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a great point. Tom, uh, let's go ahead and bring in Ryan McGee. We're going to talk college sports, also some NASCAR, a few other things with him when he joins us. But when he come back, Tom Brady, according to reports, he is unlikely to remain with the New England Patriots. We'll touch on that on the other side. Plus, we'll get to our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. A whole lot more to come. Stay with us as we continue here at the Jones Report.
Joining us now from ESPN, he's the co-host of Marty and McGee, also senior writer for ESPN.com, and you can see him on the SEC Network. It is a college sports writer and a NASCAR writer. Uh, he does it all. It is a Ryan McGee who joins us right now. McGee, I, I feel like that I run into you at the most random places, Daytona 500, College World Series, some of the most underrated sporting events uh, that that uh, we, we get to cover that, that seems like don't get the attention that that people uh, talk about. Always good to talk to you, man. Yeah, and that, that's why we're there, man. And that's uh, it's always good to see you. And it's uh, those are easily two of my favorite events. The only problem with those events is that, as you know, uh, sometimes they take a little too long. And when I saw you uh, on Sunday at Daytona, uh, we all thought we'd be out of there that night. And I think I left on Wednesday night. So uh, it's uh, those trips, like, like the College World Series. Sometimes that trip is extended. Yeah, um, it can be. And uh, speaking of that, you, know, you were there a little bit longer with uh, Ryan Newman's uh, situation, and and uh, I heard you on, uh, on on your radio show, you and Marty talking about this uh, last week, just how fortunate that uh, that we really were, how spoiled that we've gotten as uh, as fans of NASCAR and such over the years that. After Earnhardt passed away 19 years ago, we've seen so many guys walk away that uh, we just become numb to that, just think it's going to happen every time. And that Newman situation, not only for him to just walk away, for him to uh, you know, be okay after a couple of days in the hospital, but uh, it, we, it did kind of feel like we had to step back a bit. It, it did have some flashbacks to old one No, I did, and, uh, and they weren't good. You know, standing in victory lane, home that Monday night, uh, and, and all you, you can't really see the racetrack from Victory Lane, um, except for this one stretch of probably about 100 yards, and the cars went by after the checkered flag, and Newman flew by through the air, and, you know, but again, like you say, I, the, the, honestly, I wasn't that worried about it, because we've seen it happen a million times, it happens all the time, and they do, they all just walk away, because the safety has become so tremendous in these race cars. The only thing that bothered me was when I saw the replay. We had a little TV monitor there in Victor Lane, and with the way that he landed and and his window net was driven through uh, by Corey LaJoy, certainly no fault of Corey LaJoy's, that's when everybody was worried. And, you know, a lot of old racing veterans in that Victor Lane, and everybody was worried. And so when I was standing outside the hospital, with the TV camera pointed at me, you know, a couple hours later, I was convinced I was going to have to report the worst possible news. And it felt like, you know, 1998, 99, 2000, 2001, back when I first started covering the sport, and there were so many deaths. And instead, I reported good news three straight days. So, yeah, it's we have become a little safety spoiled, and that was, that was a little reminder. And thankfully, it wasn't didn't go all the way. That was a little reminder just to, just, just to remind everybody, hey, this is still crazy dangerous. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, it, it, you make a great point there, um, and you know, credit to NASCAR for what they've done since 2001 to get us to this point. Um, you know, obviously that it's not completely possible to just eliminate death as a possibility altogether, but uh, just where this sport has come, you, this used to happen. This occurrence used to happen all the time. I mean, it's amazing just what uh, what this sport has done in the last 19 years since uh, what we saw uh, you know years ago, which seemed like you know almost a regular occurrence. There, you mentioned in that stretch in the in the in the late 90s compared to what we are now. I always quit 
I mean, I, you know, I've said this several times um, over the last you know week and a half. I, I, I was based around college, and all of my other friends who were covering sports, you know, they're covering basketball and football and baseball and hockey and whatever else, and they weren't going to funerals all the time, and I was. And and it was that stretch. I mean, I started '96, and for the next six years, I mean, I I was at races, man, where drivers were getting killed, where fans were getting killed. It just was, um, you know, uh, safety crew workers. I, it, it was the worst. And so, I just, you know, I, and my problem was everybody just got complacent about it. Like, oh well, somebody's dead. I mean, that's kind of honestly how it was. And so, it took the death of Superman, Dale Earnhardt to make everyone finally implement, you know, the changes that, uh, that they should have implemented a lot earlier, the, the Hans device and safer barriers and better race seats and all that stuff existed with the, the day Dale Earnhardt died and just no one was forced to use them. Open face helmets, uh, like Earnhardt had were, were banned almost immediately. I mean, it just was uh, just a long list of things that should have been done a lot quicker. And, uh, and you know, Unfortunately, Delahar had to be the sacrifice, but it forced the sport to, to change. And as a result, um, like you say, it's been 19 years since there's been a death in, in NASCAR's top three national series. And um, I have no issue at all with uh, with us never having another one. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, obviously, this Ryan Newman story has dominated the headlines the last couple of weeks, Ryan. But uh, – it seems like the racing action, whether it was Daytona or De Vegas yep. last week, has been really good. Um, if the Ryan Newman crash doesn't happen, I think we're talking about this being a really good start to the season. Uh, you take away that in the rain, and it looks like the, the racing itself has been pretty good so far at this point. No, it's been great. And, and uh, that Daytona 500, um, I think that history will look back on that race 10 years from now as one of the greatest Daytona 500 ever run. Um, you know, within the bubble of, of current times, yeah, the rain and yeah, Ryan Newman. And, uh, you know, they'll tell the story about that race years from now and it'll be, well, Ryan Newman was fine. You know, he's good. And so, uh, um, it, it's, it, it was a tremendous race and, you know, so was Vegas. And, um, you know, I think that California is going to be is going to be great this weekend, and the Kobe Bryant tributes that teams are starting to roll out now. It's just it's it has all the makings of a special season because we honestly don't know who the champion might be, and and I think we're we're kind of in a golden age right now, and people don't want to recognize it, you know. And and then you throw in the fact that Jimmy Johnson looked. Uh, people should be uh, if you're a Hendrick Motorsports fan, and it's been a miserable couple of years. But uh, based on what that entire team did, but particularly Jimmy Johnson uh, on, uh, on, on Sunday on the intermediate track, um, everybody should be pretty excited about that because I personally would want Jimmy Johnson to go out the way Jeff Gordon did. I want him to be a title contender to the end because I think that whether you love him or you hate him, and there's plenty of people that, that feel both ways, um, he might be the greatest of all time. And so for him to go out as a contender – um, I think is is the perfect way to put a period on the end of his career. Oh, yeah, I would love to see that. Um, if he can make the championship forward like Jeff did, that'd be incredible to see. Uh, you mentioned how long you've been covering the sport. How has Jimmy's interactions, the, the way that he's carried himself, is it any different than 
what you've seen maybe in years past? What's kind of your communications been like with him uh, as he is in this uh, this final season, entering the uh, end of his uh, full-time racing career? It was interesting talking to him about it before and then after Daytona. Um, you know, he crashed out of Daytona. Uh, he was in one of the big crashes before the big crash. And so I just talked to him outside the Enfield Care Center right before the end of the race and the Newman crash and all that stuff. And it was interesting talking with him about the Daytona experience. And it reminded me a lot of Jeff because Jeff Gordon went way out of his way to tell everyone he did not want to have a farewell tour and he didn't want to be given rocking chairs and, you know, all that stuff. And, and it happened anyway without him because, you know, he, and, and after about four or five races, he was like, okay, I'll see what this is going to be. But, but still was a contender. I, I think Jimmy, he he's so smart. He was the smartest we ever met, and and I think he um, he went into this thing thinking that he, he analyzes everything almost to a fault. And I think he went in thinking, all right, this is what this experience is going to be, and then it ended up being something completely different. I think about Jeff Gordon's last race, what was supposed to be his last race. He came back, of course, and ran a few for Dell Junior. Uh, the following year, but his his last race at Homestead as a title contender. And the entire track was covered up in people wearing Jeff Gordon stuff, T-shirts, jackets, whatever. And that morning, Jeff looked, or the, right before the race, Jeff looked at me and he goes, not bad for a guy everybody hated. And, and it's a great point. And Jimmy Johnson um, has always had a huge group of people that say he's ruined the sport and all that stuff. And I think that he is going to be pleasantly surprised, as we all are, at the tributes to him. Uh, not just from Jimmy Johnson fans and racetracks and all that, but also from people who didn't like him. Because I tell people all the time, you, you know, you need to take I, – I once drove four hours to go watch a hockey game just to see Wayne Gretzky play the last – you know, in his last season, I think it was the St. Louis Blues. And the only reason I did it was just to be able to say I saw Wayne Gretzky play hockey. And he, he was, he was kind of old. He didn't play that great that night. But I tell everyone, you know, if you have a chance, go to the track, go to Kansas this, this summer, and just be able to say 30 years from now that you saw Jimmy Johnson on the racetrack, because if you don't, you're going to wish you had. Oh, yeah. One, one of my favorite memories uh, my freshman year of college, uh, McGee, is uh, getting to see Derek Jeter play when he came to Kansas City, yeah. play, for the, play against the Royals. And I just happened to luck out. It was right after I moved up here. And uh, he, they had a, a, they had to make up a, a rain game of some sorts that uh, that got right. moved months later, and uh, I couldn't miss on that opportunity. I paid whatever it took as a broke college kid, and I live to this day to be so glad that I did. And so those opportunities, uh, great chance if you get to see Jimmy at some point this year, I highly encourage you to do so. And uh, hopefully he has a good season. Uh, with, with that being said, while, while we wrap up the NASCAR talk, I, I got to say, I, I was jealous when, when you're at Daytona I, I can't believe I didn't think of the idea to, to get a boat out and do a, my radio show out at Lake Lloyd that was hilarious yeah. what you and Marty did out there yeah it was hilarious and uh and I you know somehow or another the tech crew pulled it off they were all out there all day on Friday figuring it out and we just showed up and got in the boat and so yeah we so we simulcast the national radio and tv show from a pontoon boat uh on Lake Lloyd and um and you would have thought i mean it went off just as flawless as if i was we were doing it in the studio in charlotte where we typically do the show we were taking phone calls and 
you know, well, they brought Chase Elliott out to us. They brought him in one boat out to our boat. And the look on his face as he was riding another boat out to us, <laughs> I, I mean, he knew he knew he's he's going to be on a boat with us. I don't think he understood exactly how that was going down. And so he sits down during the show and says, are we live right now? We're like, yes, like right now, totally live. Because we had live coverage of his boat riding out to us. So it, it was it was awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I, that was my 25th Daytona 500, dude, and I'd never been on Lake Lloyd, not once. And so if you're going to do it, um, you know, do it with Marty and do it on TV. Right. And it seems like whether it's you or Marty, I think Shannon Spakes the same way too, you guys have you know started out in NASCAR, covered other sports, but always found a way to come back to uh, that sport. That's always meant something, it seems like, to, to you guys and people that worked in it for a long time, even if you, you co- go cover other things to, to make a way back to uh, your roots in, in the sport of NASCAR. Yeah, and I'm, I'm always very um, pointed about that. You know, I've got to be at Daytona, and I'm very fortunate that, that over the last 10 years, I've become so much busier with college football. Uh, than I was certainly when I started covering it, and it's um, but but they know I'm going to Homestead, so you know my college football editors just got to understand somebody's going to cover it, and ESPN needs to have someone there, and I'm always the guy that's going to do it. So it's uh, I, I still love motorsports. I, I I always shamelessly just tell my bosses all the time, you know, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but come February I have to go to Daytona, and come May I have to go to Indianapolis. Past that, um, we can we can negotiate. That's fantastic, Ryan McGee, John, I guess, uh, here on the uh, Jones Report this week. Uh, Ryan, uh, you mentioned college football. Let's uh, let's move over there. Uh, last season, I-, I followed the bottom ten every week, and I, I didn't see KU in there once. So I assume no. that the uh, three win season for Les Miles was good enough to uh, to stay out of there. Well, right off the bat. I mean, I think I talked to you in the middle in the middle of all that. Right off the bat, they were contending and winning football games, and so uh, you know, it's all about you know. Now, listen, if you're in the fight every week, but you're still zero and twelve, you're probably going to end up in the bottom ten by the end of the year because there's only a handful of teams in the year that haven't won any games. But in the case of KU, they made it very clear very early, and you know this. I've watched so much KU football <laughs> um, since I, I've been doing the bottom ten for I think six what, six years now, seven years now, I've watched so much KU football. Uh, I know when a team is better. And and everybody certainly in your neighborhood knows when a team is better. And uh, that team's better. And so uh, – and I, and, I, and I so much enjoyed the series that uh, that Miles did for, uh, for ESPN Plus. And it was just – it was just – it was just great to be in – it's great to be talked about, isn't it? If you're a Jayhawk, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it's, it's just good to be in the conversation. Listen, I'm a Tennessee alum. When, when, ten, I, when I was in school, Tennessee was so bad at basketball. We had one of the best players in the country out in Houston. When I think we won six games my senior year. And so all you want to do is just occasionally be in the conversation. And, uh, and KU was absolutely in the converse, college football conversation all year last year. Yeah, no, they were in the conversation more last year than it seems like they were in the last decade and and for good reason no question too. about it that boston college win the texas tech win uh i know the record was the exact same that it was when in david Beatty's final season there but it seemed like that there was much more of a building block there was much more things to be excited about uh in you know, the the records didn't tell the whole story of Les's first year as opposed to Beatty's final season 
No, there's no question about it. And it's just – and, again, and I, I think that Beatty deserves some credit for getting some of the players in there. There's no question about it. But at the, in the end, um, you know, it's just – it's just perception is everything. It just is. And, uh, and the perception was – was that the KU was better, and and the, that perception, you know, best I could tell was reality. Because, like I say, I, I watched them. I guarantee you I watched them more. Well, I'll say this: I watched them more than any other national college football writer over the last decade because I was doing the bottom ten. This past year, uh, a lot of my national college football colleagues uh, not only were watching the team, some of them made the trip, and uh, and that that's certainly not something they were doing. Uh, in the Bay Area. Yeah, that uh, certainly did change. Uh, that's for sure. So what do you think is next for uh, for Les Miles uh, in this program? What do you think would be a successful season for this point going into uh, 2020? Well, I mean, I mean, the goal now is to, to just get to a bowl game. And the good news is there's 40 of them now, and you only got to win six games. And so you, you find six wins in there somewhere. And uh, I don't know that that's 2020. Um, but I think that uh, they certainly have it circled for 2021. Um, and, it's, uh, and, and, you know, people, people love to knock all the bowl games. And usually the people who are knocking the bowl games are the Ohio State, Notre Dame, you know, uh, you know USC crowd. The reality is, is that the rest of the college football world, um, those games matter. And, you know, my dad was a college football referee for 40 years. And he, we worked 25 bowl games. And I can tell you firsthand that the teams who made it to the Poulain Weed Eater Independence Bowl worked just as hard and were just as excited as the teams that were in the Rose Bowl. And because it, 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 was, it was the payoff for the hard work. And so the best part about riding the bottom 10, without question, is when SMU made it to a bowl game after I had watched them not win a game for two or three years in a row, or Eastern Michigan when they made a bowl game. You know, here where I live in Charlotte, you know, UNC Charlotte made it to the Bahamas Bowl this year. It's just, it's just tremendous when you see a program, particularly seniors who've been on these, on these, had to endure these awful seasons and two or three coaches and all that stuff. Uh, when, when whatever senior class it is, within the next couple of years at KU that finally gets to go to a bowl game. And it doesn't matter what, it could be the Gasparilla, you know, Mowers Bowl and you know, St. Peter, whatever. who cares? If you get to the postseason, man, what a, what a tremendous achievement after everything they've had to endure. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt. I, I've, I've said for a while, um, whether I live here or not, wherever I may be, i got to find a way to be there at this bowl game whenever that day comes. And uh, that'll be huge, whatever it may be. It might be the, the, the Fort Worth Bowl or whatever it is. Uh, it'll be huge when that day does come for Kansas. Uh, th- this Big 12 conference, uh, OU has dominated for the last several years, and uh, it's almost seemed like that you know they get to the playoff about every year now um, and, and lose. Um, but a great run for Lincoln Riley, of course, taking over from Bob Stoops. Do you think anybody uh, has the horses to contend with that powerhouse that is OU for, or or do you think they're going to just continue this dominance of this league here for a while? Well, they're just kind of plug and play right now, you know, and, and um, you know, the teams that have figured out this transfer portal, uh, 
uh, not just one side of it, both sides of it. Th- those are the teams that are that are thriving, and and you know, not a, it's not a surprise that it's you know a lot of the powerhouse teams that we expect all the time. So yeah, listen, they're the standard, and I I, I am I, it's good for college football when Texas is relevant when they're in the conversation, but they're they are not um, they're not OU yet. And so, you know, they're the ones that are going to have to step up and, and, and disrupt that deal. And right now, that's not uh, – I just don't think they're there yet. And so, you know, we all we talk so much, and rightfully so, about the Oklahoma quarterbacks. But I, I had a conversation with Jalen Hurts, who I'd covered for years at Alabama. And when I saw him at the end of the season, I said, what do you think? He goes, man, he goes uh, – he should be stunned at the talent when he walked in the building. And, and I think that, uh, you know, OU is one of those teams that just looks good getting off the bus. And, uh, you know, the conference is going to have to get a few of those. But, you know, we got Matt Rule now uh, here in Charlotte where I live, coach of the Panthers. And, uh, you know, you, you certainly couldn't have told me Baylor would be as good as they are, as quick as they are after everything that happened there. So I, I love Big 12 football. Any, any opportunity I have to get on the plane and go out there, uh, I'm all about it. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, – Things like Oklahoma and Texas keep giving me an excuse to tell my bosses to do it. Yeah, uh, I think Oklahoma State's going to turn some heads this year, too, with uh, their big three coming back uh, with uh, Spencer Sanders and Chuba Hubbard uh, in that group. That's going to be fun to watch. So hopefully another exciting year of Big 12 football. and Maybe somebody can compete with those uh, those Sooners, uh, to uh, say the least. Let's move on, uh, talk some college hoops. Uh, right here at Lawrence, uh, of course, KU, the uh, number one team in the country. They got that big win over Baylor on Saturday. It looks like they're on their way to being the number one seed. We, we keep hearing about Ryan all season long. I hear from the, the media about how there's no great teams in college basketball, so much parity. I feel like the last month or so, we've seen a great team develop in Kansas and kind of uh, destroy that narrative to a sense. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I always laugh. You know, and, and listen, I hate the one and done era. I hate it. You know, I was on Zion Williamson duty all last year. Marty and I both were. And, you know, I, I hate the way that the system is set up right now. Um, I think it's inevitable that it changes, but because of that, it kind of gives everyone this excuse to talk about what you're talking about. Oh, there's no great teams, and these games are ugly. And Well, they're also pretty good games, number one. And, and number two, um, anybody who thinks that uh, Bill Self and these guys aren't going to be ready once March gets here are nuts because, you know, just just look at what's happening, Right. Lo and behold, and I understand last week, you know, almost everybody in the top five lost. But lo and behold, here we get, you know, it would be March on Sunday. And, and all of a sudden, who looks really good? It's the superpowers. And, and Kansas is the leader of that group. And so, yeah, um, I, I think it's hilarious that in the Twitter age, we decide right now that teams aren't great. But the reality is, is that uh, we don't know who's great and who's not until the Final Four is over. And um, and let's just see how that goes first, and then we won't really know if these teams are great till ten years from now. You know, the the uh, is there a UNLV in this group? I don't know, probably not. Is there a, you know is there a Duke in this group? I don't know, but um, but but lo and behold, like I say, uh, the Kansas of the world getting all the pieces in place, and hey, it's you know. It's almost March 1st, so that's just how they roll. Right, right. Um, obviously, uh, we know about the uh, investigation that uh, the 
is going on with this Kansas program from the NCAA uh, with that notice of allegations they received before the season began. Um, with them being the favorites going into the NCAA tournament, do you think that Mark Emmert and company uh, – would, would it be a, a bad scenario for them to be handed a national title trophy to KU while this is going on, or do you think that kind of really doesn't matter right now? Well, the problem is is that uh, there's so many of them that the odds of one of those teams, and the list continues to grow. And listen, I live in the Carolinas, and uh, you know I'm living in NC State's getting their letter, and they're talking about South Carolina getting their letter, and everybody. I mean, there, there's so many schools that are involved potentially in this thing that uh, the list is too long. I mean, listen, you're talking about the College World Series. I was at the College World Series when Oregon State won the thing, and no one in the press box wanted them to win except for the guys covering Oregon State. Because, and the NCAA certainly didn't want them to win because they were, it was such a controversial team uh, because they, the, you know, the best pitcher on their team, their ace, ace of their staff, um, you know, had a, a horrible past. And, uh, and have been written about extensively. And so um, I've, been to the, I've been in these situations where, like UNLV. I mean, when UNLV won, the NCAA wasn't super pumped about that because Jerry Tarkani made fun of them all the time. So it's, unfortunately, this list is so long and it's getting longer that uh, um, I, I don't there's – there's a lot of potential embarrassing scenarios for them. So in the meantime, I think it's just uh, we'll focus on the basketball and uh, – let the FBI do whatever they're going to do after that. Right, right. That's a great point. We got a couple more minutes left with you, Ryan. So uh, I got to ask you what what's been in the uh, the hillbilly headlines lately. Well, let's see. We had a guy what, what, this year. It's funny. There's trends. So the, the the trend going back to the middle of last fall is we've had a lot of people breaking into places and like just doing normal stuff. Like we had a woman that just broke into a family's house and took a bath and. Uh, we had a guy who broke into a Taco Bell and didn't steal anything, but he cooked himself like a huge Taco Bell dinner. Apparently, he had worked there at some point, and so he knew how to do it. And then he cleaned up the kitchen afterwards and left. But it, there he was on surveillance doing it. We had a guy this past week uh, broke into someone's house. And imagine you're lying in bed and you're you're deep in sleep, dreaming about whatever. And all of a sudden, you feel a weird sensation on your feet, and you wake up, and some stranger's in the house sucking on your toes. <laughs> that happened last week in Florida. So that, that, that's um, that, it, it's it, but the, the, we had a trend a couple years ago of just people stealing scooters from Walmart and like robbing a bank. And one woman was got a DUI for driving a scooter in circles in a Walmart parking lot, drinking wine out of a Pringles can. And it, <laughs> but that was the, the trend a couple years ago was to steal the hover round. The trend right now apparently is to break into people's houses and just like you know take a nap, or you know make a sandwich, or you know, all all these things. I'm not making this up. All of these things have happened in the last six months. I do a segment. Uh, it, it's a it's a game actually on my show uh, from time to time called Florida Man because all the crazy stuff yeah happens in yeah. Florida. Uh, all of it does. Yeah. No, it's it's um the state of Florida is the gift that keeps on giving. Florida's greatest export is not oranges uh or cocaine for that matter florida's greatest export is um is hillbilly headlines and they supply marty and i typically on a saturday morning on marty mcgee the last segment of the show um we we do hillbilly headlines and typically we'll get about four maybe five of them in and every week if we do four at least three of them are from are from florida it's it's uh it's the greatest 
But I'll tell you this, though. What I learned in this thing is hillbillies are not limited to even to America. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we some of the best. We had a drunk monkey in Brazil attack a bunch of bar, people in a bar <laughs> with a knife because apparently they just keep the monkey in the bar, and he drank a bunch of Red Bull or something and grabbed a, grabbed a, a knife. So the point is we have these from all over the world. We had a guy in Australia that burned his entire neighborhood down because he was trying to uh, get rid of a beehive using kerosene. Yeah, uh, we with this we, we yeah we have this stuff all the time, and it's not just limited to the United States, but Florida, Florida laps the field like laps the entire world ten to one. Oh, that's so great and so true. Uh, you're you're working on a book right now. I want to have you back on when this book is uh, set to come out. But uh, what's what's set to what are you working on uh, this uh, this book? It's about your dad and his career working as a as a college referee. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it, the tentative title Sidelines and Bloodlines, and it's about my dad, who was a college football official for almost 40 years, and about how my brother and I grew up on the sideline. I mean, listen, the reason you and I are talking right now is because my dad got my first credentials from me when I was 12 years old, sideline at uh, North Carolina, Virginia. I got completely run over. Barry Word, uh, former Kansas City Chief. Yeah. Uh, he scored the game-winning touchdown, and the linebacker who missed on the tackle completely blew me up. And I weighed maybe 100 pounds, and it was the coolest. Everybody thought I was dead, but it was the coolest thing of all time. So, yeah, and, and Dad worked. I mean, he was he was in the ACC in the Big East, but he worked a handful of Kansas games over the year. He had the hottest game he ever worked. was uh, He had the kickoff classic between Florida State and KU in the Meadowlands. Oh, yes. And uh, when Glenn Mason was coming off that unbelievable year, and uh, but unfortunately the team that went to the Meadowlands wasn't as good as the team that had finished the year before. And uh, and it was not a good game for KU, but but the story was the Heat. Jack Aroot was the sideline reporter for ABC, and he had to change suits three times in the game because he kept sweating through his suit. But I was uh, I was in the air conditioned press box keeping stats for ABC, so I was all right. That is uh, awesome, uh, Ryan. Appreciate the time as always, uh, Marty McGee. Every Saturday on uh, I, I can still call it Jefferson Pilot, right? Not the SEC network. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll call, yeah, we'll call it uh, yeah Jefferson Pilot, uh, Raycom, yeah, college one. No, we're on the SEC network <laughs> and on ESPN Radio, uh, coast to coast. So uh, yeah, uh, it'd be uh, six to eight central. So oh. get up and get your donuts and get your coffee and sit in the deer stand and listen to us. Yeah, do that. Uh, I, I was listening to the podcast when I couldn't uh, watch the the show and, and I can't find it anymore. So I got. Yeah, we're having a little, a little, a little controversy about all, all the weekend shows. We don't have a podcast anymore, and so uh, uh, I will tell people Marty Smith's America, which is Marty's podcast. He typically runs the best of the Marty McGee show uh, as a section of that. But yeah. Anybody has a complaint about that, hit up uh, ESPN at ESPN Podcast and tell them this is stupid. We should have a podcast again. I agree. I agree. I'm with you 100%. Ryan, appreciate the time. Check out the show. Also, his work on ESPN.com, doing uh, awesome stuff covering college sports and motorsports. And uh, we'll see you down the line. Appreciate the time as always. Right. You're the man. Big thanks to Ryan McGee for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges back here with you now. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. We'll continue the NFL discussion from a few moments ago. Tom Brady will be a free agent as free agency starts in just a couple of weeks from right now. Tom, I thought it was highly unlikely several months ago Tom Brady ever putting on another uniform other than the one he was wearing with the New England Patriots. 
you could have told me that he was more likely to retire. But based on the events that have transpired in the last couple months, Brady did not play well in the second half of this season. He looked like he had a noodle arm. He couldn't get the ball down the field that much, that well. And the Patriots themselves were not the same team down the stretch, getting eliminated in the wild card round at home to the Tennessee Titans, a team that didn't have a great passing game themselves. Now you have the Patriots in a situation where they know they need to get more talent and they need to improve beyond just Tom Brady to get themselves back in contention next year and years beyond. And you have a situation in Tom Brady where the clock is running out, where time is ticking uh, at 43 years old with father time, it looks like, finally catching up to Tom Brady to an extent. If anybody can still bounce back and have a great year, it would be Tom Brady. But now it's looking like this is more of a possibility of him leaving New England. I would say right now, if you asked me, based on the report we saw from Jeff Darlington of ESPN this week, where he says he doesn't see Brady leaving New England, that he sees Brady leaving New England uh, as almost happening for sure at this point. But then the idea that, hey, this is still Bill Belichick. This is still Robert Kraft. If anybody can put together a last-minute deal and make this work out, it would be New England in this franchise. Um you know, he's 43 years old. The idea of him wearing another uniform just feels weird. Um, I would put this at 50-50 right now uh, of him playing somewhere else at this point in time. And just the fact that we've gotten this point to this point, Tom, is a bizarre uh, that we're having this discussion as is right now even. Oh, it's 110% bizarre. I mean... No one is, and I think it's so wild to even think of Tom Brady in another jersey because we've never seen him in another jersey, and we grew up with Tom Brady in a Patriots jersey, but there is a possibility that he leaves. Uh, if I was a betting man, and I'm not because I'm terrible at it uh, for the most part, at least when money's involved, I would put my money on the Patriots giving Tom Brady a one-and-one team option him taking a essentially a hometown discount, not crazy, uh, but less money than what, you know, maybe anybody else would pay him. I mean, he has no shortage of money. He's made enough money over the years. He has all these endorsement deals, I'm sure. Uh, he's not hurting for money. And His wife makes a ton of guy. money. Right, exactly. So they're not worried about that. It's essentially letting him play out. Uh, the rest of his career. Does he play another year after this year? I don't know. Uh, that's why I say one and one with a team option on the second year. Um, and then maybe some incentive deals down the line to say, hey, if you do this, we'll give you this much money. Tom Brady seems like a team player. I mean, he's done it in the past. Um, if he really wants to stay in New England, I think he's staying in New England. I, I just... And, and that's the reason, too, and that's uh, you hear all the other reports. I don't think he's going anywhere else just because we've never seen him anywhere else. He, there's never even been any discussion about Tom Brady leaving the Patriots until right now. Uh, I think it'll be telling if something doesn't get done by the draft. I think that will be telling. It'll be very telling. Well, free agency begins well before the draft does. Um, with free agency starting March, I believe it is, 15th, 18th, something like that. The draft is the end of April. I think Brady's situation, the way that he has put himself in this position, 
this has been playing out for a long time, remember. When he signed the deal that he had, they worked out where they could not franchise tag him and that he was going to be a free agent. That this has been well played out for quite some time for him to be in the position that he's in now. I think that Tom Brady, if he were to leave, I do actually disagree with you, Tom. I think money would be a part of this. He's taken these hometown discounts all these years for New England so they could bring in other players, and it certainly paid off. You're at the end here. Tom, he he deserves a reward. If there's anybody in the National Football League that deserves a legacy contract for what you've done, it's Tom Brady, and he's missed out on a lot of money he could have made otherwise. It's the end of his career now. He doesn't even know if he can play at the level he was playing at before he could take somebody to a Super Bowl again. This is an opportunity, I think, to cash out, see what happens, and get the most money that you can out there. I'm going to say that New England is going to be wise with their money, and they'll make an offer to Brady, but I'm not confident, and I would actually say that it probably won't be the highest offer he receives. Probably not. There's a team out there that's going to just offer a just a shitload of money, not only in jersey sales or novelty of it, but because they think they can just use a one-year and run with it. What? Who is that team, though? I think there's a number of options who that team could be. Think about the teams that are so desperate to contend and make a name for themselves in their new cities and new stadiums. The Los Angeles Chargers... It has been a failed experiment for them the last, what is it, two, three years now in L.A. playing in that soccer stadium and then other teams basically having home games or neutral sites in their stadium. Now you put them in a stadium of 65, 70,000 people, they have to do something to pique interest in that franchise. And they've already said goodbye to Phillip Rivers. Maybe it's the Raiders. I know that we've heard Gruden say that uh, Derek Carr is his guy, and Derek Carr had a really good year but last year, but Derek Carr just doesn't move the needle. You make Brady the face of your franchise, that changes everything. Then you have excitement, and Raider Nation is all in with uh, Tom Brady there. So that, to me, that's where I see a situation of not only of having the name of Tom Brady, but a business side, if you're a team like the Raiders or the Chargers, you need a spark, and Tom Brady provides exactly just that. No, a year? Two years? Yeah, I think you're talking about a short-term deal. Right, 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 right. So, I mean, is it the end goal? I mean, do you think a team like the Chargers or the Raiders with a, with a quarterback like Tom Brady can beat out the Chiefs for the division. See, that's the other side of that, though, is I don't think they can. I think that if Tom gets the money he wants from an AFC South team, that would be his best route to go in this direction, other than, obviously, if he got the money from New England. But let's take New England out of the picture for a second here. If all things are equal and you can get the same amount of money from an AFC South team like Indianapolis or Tennessee or an AFC West team like the Chargers or the Raiders. I'm jumping to the AFC South. You mentioned Denver. This reminds me a lot of Peyton Manning 
when he came to the Denver Broncos. The AFC West was very weak. The Chiefs weren't weren't worth anything. Same with the Raiders. Um, the Chargers were there, but they weren't elite. And he came in and he owned and dominated that division and made it to the playoffs every single year he was in Denver and, of course, went to two Super Bowls. Tom Brady, walk into a weak AFC South, whether that's with Indianapolis, who's already got a good run game and a good defense, or in Tennessee, who's already got a good run game and a good defense. Your toughest competition is going to be Houston and that idiot and Bill O'Brien there that I don't think Tom Brady fears by any means. To me, if I'm Tom Brady, if the money is there, I'm going to either Indianapolis or Tennessee. And Nashville actually has the most celebrities per capita of any city in the U.S. He would be a natural fit, and he would be loved in Nashville. Indianapolis, a little bit colder, not as well-cultured as Nashville is. Um, Tennessee, and playing with Mike Vrabel as his head coach, who, of course, is his former teammate, if the money's there, that might be his best option, especially considering that Tennessee, all the momentum that they have from the end of last year and getting the, the AFC championship game at all, they're just a piece or two away from being a serious threat for the long term there with the Titans. So, out of all the teams discussed so far, there are three teams that I could see if he leaves the Patriots going to, and two of the reasons would be former players that he played with or former coaches that he played with. And then it really depends on one situation here. Um, my thought would be either the Titans, because of Rabel. I don't know with the way that Tannehill played. He played decent enough. They're going to they, – they can't rely on him a long-term option. But Tennessee, I think the Colts would be perfect. Um, and, and the other team that I think could be something – and then you have the Packers there to, to face, and as, as well as the Vikings. But, I, I mean, I could see him going back with Patricia. And if Stafford leaves Detroit, I could see Tom Brady in Detroit. Here's, a, here's one other option. And this is a team, Tom, that I was very high on early on in the season, but things just didn't work out. But I think the talent's there. The defense is there. What about the Chicago Bears? Mitch Trubisky is not the guy. I'm sorry. I'm done with Mitch Trubisky. I'm selling everything that there is to sell about Mitch. He's not it. What if you're Chicago, you throw all the money out there, you rent Tom Brady for a couple years, that gives you time to figure out your quarterback situation, and then you have all that young talent everywhere else. I think Chicago would be a good fit. No one's really talking about the Bears right now. Yeah, that's true. Um... That would be an option for sure. I mean, if you think about it, I could see the NFC NFC North and the AFC South is the best options here. The divisions aren't that crazy. I know the Packers had a really good year this year. Uh, you know, a Tom Brady-led Bears, a Detroit team, I think could compete uh, with the Minnesota Vikings. I really do think so. Um, and, and that being said, obviously, I think the Bears probably might be even a little bit better option. Then Detroit, as far as terms of talent-wise and, you know, the defense, you don't have to rely near as much on a noodle-arm Tom Brady, essentially. Um, but, uh, I mean, I could see him I could see him with – yeah, that's a good point. I could see him with the Lions or the Bears. I could see him with 
the Colts or the Titans. I mean, if, if we're really talking about Tom Brady leaving the Patriots, those four teams, in my mind, would probably be the best. Two of those because Brable and the other because of Patricia. Uh, I mean, just because he knows, you know, the people. There's like Tony Parker leaving the Spurs. He went to be in Charlotte. Uh, with James Borrego, who was a longtime assistant of the Spurs. You go where you know. Uh, and, and obviously, Tom Brady knows who, you know, played with Rabel. And then obviously, you know, wasn't super involved with Matt Patricia because it was the D.C. But at the same time, that's a familiar face. Right. That's a great point. Now, what about New England in all this? Let's say that they move on from Tom Brady. What do they do next? Do they go ahead and bring in... Teddy Bridgewater and pay him the money that he's going to want to be a starter. He had a really good run in that six-game stretch there filling in for Drew Brees, and New Orleans is already committed to Drew Brees long-term. Do you ride with Jarrett Stidham, who's your backup right now? Do you draft a quarterback? Um, do you – I know this sounds blasphemous, but is it? Uh, surely it's not go-ahead with Phillip Rivers – or Jameis Winston on that free agent market. Teddy would have to be the guy if it's a free agent quarterback. What do you do if you're New England if you move on from Brady here, Tom? Is it the draft and trade up to try to get one of the big three? Like, obviously they can't get Burrow at one, but try to trade up and get Tua or Justin Herbert. Is it go sign Teddy Bridgewater, or is it kind of ride with what you got right now? What do you do if you're New England? I would not be shocked if they said, hey, Teddy, come to New England. I think... As far as proving quarterbacks go, that's your number one. Depending on how you like Stidham. I I mean, Stidham wasn't terrible. I mean, that all being said, let's look at it. Tom Brady was drafted where he was drafted, and then, you know, the rest is history. Um, So, and with Bill Belichick, you really don't know. Uh, I mean, he can just make anything happen, and he can make, you know – things that you'd be like you know what I, I don't I don't believe in him and I mean there's a I, there's a point where I wouldn't be shocked if Mitch Trubisky went to New England and he made him the next Tom Brady I mean that's just kind of the stupid power that New England somehow has that being said I think I think the smartest move would be to take Bridgewater let Bridgewater instead him kind of back out there in the transition phase right now I obviously I think Bridgewater would get the nod and then I think you take your first round pick which is going to be in the 20s, and you see who's there or see who's available, I would not be shocked. I would not be shocked whatsoever if the New England Patriots take their first rounder and spend it on Jalen Hurts. Would not be shocked whatsoever. Ooh. That seems like a bell. I don't see Jalen going in the first round, but maybe you're ahead of something compared to everybody else. Um, now, if you are New England, Tom, let's say that this bridge – comes together with Tom Brady that you you know things work out and such if I give you the choice and maybe this is really just for everybody else too uh, because both of them will be free agents right now with their at, at this point in their career and this might be even blasphemous to ask but I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there if all money is equal at this point in their careers Tom if you're New England or any of these other teams in the free agent quarterback market, would you rather have Tom or would you rather have Teddy Bridgewater? I mean, you're looking at Tom Brady. Could be his last year. Really could be. And, and essentially, the man could retire and all things would be great. 
Uh, there would be no, there's no more questions. There's no more, there's nothing. There's nothing, there's nothing missing on Tom Brady's resume. Absolutely nothing. He could retire, and he, he has nothing left to prove. At this point, he's just doing it because he loves it. Um, if you're the Patriots from a business mind standpoint, and essentially you owe Tom Brady the same way the Spurs owe Tim Duncan, you, 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 you do. Uh, and, and a legacy contract would not be looked upon. But how the Patriots move, how they react, I could see the Dallas Cowboys. This is Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys are giving Tom Brady a legacy contract. That's just how Dallas does business. New England does business a whole lot different than, let's say, like I said, Dallas would do business. Uh, I mean, it's strictly no hard feelings type of an organization, uh, which, you know, as that's the reason there have been so successful. Uh, no hard feelings. We're doing this strictly because we still need to win. Uh, it's been great playing with you, all that good stuff. And that's the reason they've been so successful. So a smart move would probably be equal money to take Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, the longevity is there. We've seen what Teddy Bridgewater was able to be. Quarterback coach, uh, that you could really work wonders, even with from what we've seen with Teddy Bridgewater, even could be better than that. Um, that being said, Tom Brady would not look down upon it if they did give him a legacy contract. I don't think it's going to happen that way uh, because New England is in that transition stage where, hey, we need to make the right moves right now because this could determine the next five to ten years of our franchise. Uh, I mean, that's just what it comes down to. Belichick, let's say maybe he walks when Tom Brady does, or maybe he walks in three years. Uh, it's a, a lot like the Spurs and trying to set it up at Greg Popovich. And so far, that experiment after Tim Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker went is not the same. Uh, I mean, obviously, Spurs probably won't make playoffs for the first time since I've been a fan. And we could be looking at the same situation in New England. How do you react when the success is not there anymore? Because they're going to drop off. I mean, even if they have Tom Brady again, there's a real good shot. I, I say that. I mean, you're in the division that you're in. Uh, I mean, I mean, Bills Jets looked a lot make... better last year. They might be the favorites even with Tom Brady back to win the division. They should be. And, and that's what you face, though, now. You face how long do we hold on until we make a change and just embrace that, hey, we're probably going to miss the playoffs one year. It's not going to be the end of the world because you just made the playoffs for forever, okay? How long? I mean, it's going to be – that's a tough – that is a tough chip. That's a tough pill to swallow. And I've been right there in the basketball phase. It's very tough. Uh, for a fan base, for an organization who's had this much success – how long do you just make the change and say, you know what, fuck it. We're just going to eat it, and we just need to move on. That is going to be the interesting thing. How long? I'm, this is blasphemy. God, I can't even believe I'm saying it. But how long until you say, all right, Tom, listen, thank you for 20-plus years, however long. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But, hey, we still got to win. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked. Even if Tom Brady retired, they would. They, he's going to get a front office position with the New England Patriots. That's not... It's had that is already written in stone. So that whole tangent, I believe you were saying you would take Teddy Bridgewater Teddy. over Tom Brady right now. Yeah. Okay. So I had to talk myself through the blasphemy. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know what? I'll actually do the same. Fair enough. Um, I'll do the same. I'll take Tom. I'll take Teddy Bridgewater over Tom Brady if all money's equal right now. If I'm, you know, 
any of these teams in the league at this point in time. But I would take Tom Brady at his price over Dak. If I'm Dallas, I don't want to pay Dak $40 million. If I can get Tom for two years and 30 and then figure out what I'm going to do at the quarterback position, I'll do that. Um, if I'm the Raiders, if I'm you know Tennessee, uh, Indianapolis, the Chargers, whatever, I'd be glad to have Tom Brady, but he's not my first choice right now. That, that sounds weird to say, but I think that's reality, where things stand right now. Um, Teddy Bridgewater's your number one choice. Tom Brady, as good as he is, I'm, I'm riding with Teddy Bridgewater at this point in time. Before we get out of here today, time for our Tom Foolery story of the week this week. Tom, we've already talked about some foolish things at the top of the show, but this one just might take the cake. No surprise here. We're going to Doorknocker County, Utah. Uh, <laughs> I feel and, like Utah is the Florida of the West. Oh, 100%. 100%. We're in... And in, in Florida, you have Gators. In Utah, you have Mormons. Um, and I'm sure this is no, you know, different here. Uh, Utah woman pleads guilty to lewdness for being topless in her own home. I, I, that's hard to take in. That's that's almost as hard to take in as Tom Brady leaving the Patriots. A Utah woman who faced charges for being topless in her own home in front of her stepchildren has taken a plea bargain. What? The stakes were too high for Tilly Buchanan to take the criminal case to trial, her attorney, Randa Richards, said on Tuesday. She initially was charged with three counts of Class A misdemeanor lewdness involving a child, accused of exposing her breasts to her stepchildren several years ago. Charges had essentially a weighty consequence. If convicted, she would have to have been required to be on the sex offender registry for 10 years. That is incredible. Richard said he advises clients to take the deal. She would have loved to take it on the appeal, but it was pretty much my advice she not. Not because I don't think she would win, but there's a possibility that if we all go the way to trial, she'll be convicted by a jury, and then she'd have to be on the sex offender registry. Buchanan instead resolved her case Tuesday by admitting to one charge of Class B misdemeanor lewdness. She did not admit in a plea argument documents to any crimes involving children, but did say she exposed her breasts in front of an adult, which caused caused a front or alarm. The plea will be held in advance, meaning the charge will be dismissed after a year if Buchanan does not commit any new crimes and pays $600. Richards, the lawyer, called ending of the case ludicrous, noting that his client pleaded guilty essentially being topless in front of her husband. But he promised that Buchanan would be bringing a civil lawsuit against West Valley City. This whole thing is ridiculous, he said. She or other women have to worry about their kids seeing them topless. It's ridiculous. West Valley City prosecutors defended the criminal charges. This case has never been about nudity in one's home. Instead, it's about the responsibility we have towards others. West Valley City Attorney Ryan Robinson said, adding the case was resolved when Ms. Buchanan took responsibility for her actions. Buchanan's plea ends. The case drew national attention and comes at the hills of the judge's decision last month to uphold Utah's lewdness law. Buchanan's legal term has asked third district judge Kara Petit to find Utah's lewdness statute unconstitutional, arguing that it discriminates against women, making it illegal, making it illegal for them to show their breasts when it's not illegal for a man to be topless. Jones, this is ridiculous. All right, obviously you don't want to see your stepmom naked. I mean, maybe you do. I don't. I mean, I don't know. It's whatever you, however you get down. And it's naked, uh, but by at the, the way. Same time, yeah. I mean, it's just boobs, man. Right. 
I thought we've come a little bit this, and if I would have had to guess the state, it would have been Florida or Utah. Right. I mean, if this happens in Oklahoma, even you're not getting this. That I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm sure I'm surprised the free the nipple campaign hasn't went absolutely bonkers on this, and I'm sure they have, and rightfully so. If I could get out of the shower and be, you know, just naked from the top down with a towel on and just walk in in front of my, I mean, people do this all the time. Uh, if you can do that, and can you imagine? She was in her own home, and she wasn't allowed to be naked. That's unconstitutional. Yeah, um, I think that she should have taken this to court and tried to fight it. To me, I find it crazy that this could be something she could be criminally charged. You should be able to dress and look however you want to look in your own home. I get it that, you know, the stepkids probably don't want to see her boobs just hanging out there. I, I understand the concern, but you would think this could have been solved a whole other way than taking it to a criminal case. Maybe there's some counseling or something here. The other th- question I have is, who pressed charges in this case? Was it one of the stepkids that took their own stepmom to court for her being topless in her own home? Like, if that happens, if if my stepkid is doing that and you get me criminally charged, I'm kicking you out of my house. Get out of here. Like, who... who that's the other thing. Who charges somebody? Who takes the effort to have them arrested for this? You know, I fine. I think probably one of the stepchildren just made an offhand comment when they were at their mom's house. The ex, the ex-wife's probably bitter ex-wife, and she was like, "You know what? Screw Karen. I am taking this all the way and getting her charged just because I'm bitter." I guarantee that had to be the case. Had to be. Parents, you know, after divorce, the the hus- ex-husband or ex-wife will just get back at them any way they can, and I'm sure that was the case. I mean, Jones, this lady's getting charged $600 for showing her tits. Right. I mean, that's insane. And then, even if she commits a crime, even if it was an accident or whatever, I, I mean, I, the average person just doesn't commit crime, just randomly, but even, let's say, an unpaid ticket i mean that's gonna come back let's say something like that happened and that does happen people get bench warrants all the time for forgetting about parking tickets or losing them and and that happens i mean hell i forgot about a parking ticket finally got a letter and that was like hey actually this parking ticket that you didn't pay and i was like oh my god i forgot a whole all about that like it's in the bottom of my console in my car and i was like oh my god it's been like days i'm like oh i'm sorry i went to the city hall and paid i was hey guys i'm sorry like they're like, no, no, it happens. That's why we send a letter out, uh, just because that, that happens. And I was like, all right, cool. It paid it, and it was good. But that happens all the time. But I've never got a ticket for showing my butt or, you know, I, I've never been, like, naked in public like that. But I've ever, I've been naked in my home. I was naked. I don't know. Saw me. But I was still naked in my own home, you know? And it's just like, all right, like, I mean, I don't care who says it, Jones. Boobs are a whole lot different than the bottom half. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. And I'm not conservative whatsoever, but that's a whole different ballgame. It is. It uh, is. Tom, uh, I I go to sleep naked, personally. Uh, I, I just, you know, just lay on out, you know. I go, what do they call that, full eagle? Is that what it is? Oh, they have the free the nipple campaign, I thought. 
this was 2020 and not 2001. Well, Utah, I remember going there for the NCAA tournament last year. They still have it set where you can't buy alcohol in grocery stores. So Utah is living in like, you know, 1995 in their laws. Um, so this doesn't surprise me that of all places this would happen in Utah, but this woman, let her live her life. Let her be her own in her own home. If I can sleep naked, this gal should be able to walk around topless in her own home. And the stepkids that snitched, uh, just move on out. If you don't like it, you don't have to be there. Um, to me, this, this is just ridiculous that it got to this point in time. And it kind of goes back to our society of how PC we've gotten, how just PC culture has just out gotten out of control. This is another example of that. And what I'm afraid of, Tom, is that there's really no going back. The path that we continue on this PC route with stuff like this, I'm concerned that it's only going to get worse from here, that, well, if she can't be naked in her own home, then... Uh, you know, what else are they going to charge us with for stuff we're doing in our own home here? Personally, I'm of the belief that you should be able to be allowed to be naked anywhere. Uh, they do it in Europe all the time. People walk around, you know, shirtless and topless and such. This is something I'm very liberal on. Um, you know, the human body, everybody's seen the human body. I don't see why this is just such a, a crazy concept, why we act so, uh, you know, foreign to this uh when we wake up and we see ourselves shower every day yeah it's mind-blowing and and i can guarantee you that the the you know the lawyer that's like trying to charge her or you know the city i can guarantee that man's been to a strip club and if he hasn't i guarantee he's watched porn before 110 percent in the comfort of his own home uh, I mean, as far as the stepkids go, there's a whole lot else worse that you could see than your stepmom's boobs. Guarantee it. This has got to be, Tom, this has got to be the worst lawyer ever. Like, he should have his uh, law license revoked by the Bar Association of Utah. Yeah, he really should. That or he's just, maybe he is the, uh, maybe he's the ex-husband Nah, probably not, because that'd be a conflict of interest. But maybe his brother's the ex ex husband of this lady, and they're just trying to just pull one over on her, because uh, that's just what it sounds. That's why it's tomfoolery. It sounds like a bunch of tomfoolery. Uh, I mean, well, and, and I mean, everybody in Utah is related anyway. <laughs> I mean, yeah, pretty. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Every this is everybody's stepmom's hits on the table. We're talking about here. <laughs> oh gosh on that note we gotta run big thanks to ryan mcgee vspn for joining us give him a follow on uh twitter and and uh, all the great work he's doing that new book of his coming out uh later on this year should be awesome we appreciate him joining us make sure to subscribe to the show itunes soundcloud google play spotify leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all also we are available on social media at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, and at TJ Media Group on Twitter, Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group, Instagram at Tyler Jones Live, at Instant Thomas, and at Jones underscore Report. That about does it for us. We will see you right back here next week. Have a great one, everybody, and we'll see you on the other side. So long.
Jones report. F yeah.